Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccans. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It is our uh, long-running listener mail segment. We do this every week. Can we call it long-running now? Are we there yet? I think so. Yeah, it's just regular old thing now. Now, now it's the it's the new normal. It's one of the uh, new normals of the pandemic. Uh, this this is interesting. You know, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm grateful for all the feedback that we've been getting from our fellow conspiracy realists. Uh, continuing the conversations we have that in listener mail can sometimes feel sensitive to people because we're sharing your stories directly with your fellow listeners. We're responding to things that we know not everybody in the audience may agree with. So we're we're very thankful that you go with us on this journey. Uh, Today, we have 
a mix of things from social media, from our phone line, one eight three three stdwytk and our good old email address, conspiracy at iheartradio.com, uh, one from each. And we're talking about genetic mapping. Luckily, we're talking about some folks with firsthand experience at the uh, farming protest in India. Uh, but Matt, there's something that you found that perhaps is our, our best starting point today. Uh, it's a voicemail that caught, I think, caught all of our interest. That's correct. We got a message from Joseph. I believe it's Joseph. You listen and tell me if that's what you're hearing too, guys. I'm pretty <laughs> I sure the same thing. Pretty sure it's Joseph. I can't tell. And whoever you are, Joseph, it may not be you. Sorry, but here's your message. I emailed you guys about this a long time ago. My name's Joseph, by the way. Uh, I live in Atlanta. I emailed you guys about this during the, the big Jade Helm debacle. And it's something called the Minerva Initiative. And it's a DOD, Department of Defense, program with a few universities. And I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago when Facebook cut off access for users and people literally thought it was the end of the world. Uh, that was part of the Minerva Initiative. It's based on how to manipulate social media for wartime purposes. I'd really like you guys to check it out because, you know, uh, I don't have time to do that research, nor would I even know how. Uh, but I'd love to hear it. Thank you guys. I've been listening for like, you know, years, way back into the YouTube days. Peace to you. Joseph, if that is the name you gave us. Definitely Joseph. <laughs> I, heard Joseph. I, I, I remember listening to this and I had different headphones on and I can't remember. I, I may have been the, we make file names for them. So there may have been something where I was just like, Joseph, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I, I put Joseph question mark in our doc that we, we share everybody. I was like, I think that's what he said. And it's not nothing against uh, the way you speak. It's just on phone. Sometimes it's difficult to hear. You should see the misspellings I've got in our documents with oh, people boy. who call it. Okay. An Atlanta yeah. guy too. Yes. An Atlanta guy and uh, giving us a fascinating topic that apparently he sent to us in, oh, I don't know, 2014, 2015. Uh, <laughs> wow. Okay. So the Minerva Initiative, also known as the Minerva Research Initiative. What the heck is that? It sounds like a really cool code name or something. Well, let's dig in. The first place we're going to go is a website, Minerva, M-I-N-E-R-V-A dot defense dot gov. This is the official DOD website for the Minerva Research Initiative. The subtitle or the subheading, by the way, for this site is Supporting Social Science for a Safer World. Sounds lovely. You know what also sounds lovely? the stuff that they have written on the front of their website. And I'm going to talk to you <laughs> and I'm going to tell you exactly what it says. The Minerva research initiative supports social science research aimed at improving our basic understanding of security broadly defined. All supported projects are universally based and unclassified with the intention that all work be shared widely to support thriving, stable and safe communities. The goal is to improve DOD's basic understanding of the social, cultural, behavioral, and political forces that shape regions of the world of strategic importance to the U.S. That's okay. a lot of things. It's a lot of things. There's uh, some nice air in those words. <laughs> yeah. Sure. 
It's social science research. And essentially what it does is it, it gives grants to universities for research on specific things. And I'm, I'm going to so you can read more and more and more if you'd like to about specifically what the initiative says about itself on that website. And, you know, that's always something you can do. There's also a blog on that website. It's it is named Owl in the Olive Tree. That is the name of their blog. Interesting symbolism going there, right, Ben? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. It's Minerva, I think it should be familiar to a lot of our listeners, the Roman goddess of wisdom, nice, justice, law, victory, but also strategic warfare. Yep. Yeah, that came came later. (laughs) It's ironic, too, because one of uh, her original posts, I guess, was also medicine, commerce, handicrafts, poetry, and, like, the arts. Yeah, poets and and actors. And uh, her sacred creature is the owl. So this is very clearly, like, they're... They're leaning into the symbolism, but for anybody who is, I think this is this is where you were where you were taking us, Matt. Uh, for anyone who's familiar with the symbolism used at places like Bohemian Grove, which is a real thing, obviously this ruffles some feathers, and not just on owls. Uh, you can look at the. I was looking at this a little bit too. You can look at what they call their research priorities. On the website, they haven't been updated since 2019. So it's been a it's, while. Yeah, it's safe to assume that those, I mean, the world of grants can move slowly. So can the world of research. So safe to assume those are still kind of top of mind to the Minerva folks. This reminds me a lot of um, the way DARPA partners with people, although DARPA is a little more on the engineering, uh, hard science side, and social science is science, right? Uh, but the ideas themselves are fascinating. This is the kind of stuff I have definitely read about and would read more about. But Matt, why is it controversial? Well, first off, Ben, I think you hit on the right thing here. This is where I wanted to go next. Their research priorities that were defined in 2019, fairly recent, as you said. Let's run down some of these really quickly. You can get to it on their homepage if you go to research, and then I think it says priorities, research priorities. Um, let's just talk about what we think some of these might mean. And Ben, mm-hmm. I have a feeling you'll know more than than I in, in some of this stuff. Topic one, peer, near-peer, statecraft, influence, and regional balance of power. Okay, so that's interesting. I, I understand regional balance of power. I understand what influence is. Statecraft is like close to my understanding, just if they're talking about it in the most general terms. What what I'm interested in here, though, is the peer, near-peer statecraft. I don't understand what that means. Okay, so peer, near-peer statecraft is... It's a little buzzwordy of, of a way to say it, but, um, but think of it in terms of... Uh, of the biggest, the biggest brute in the room, and I'm not calling these states brutes, but like, if you look at, if you look at North America, the continent, then the United States is the is the largest um, burrito in the Taco Bell bag. Uh, <laughs> they're not all going to be great. Sorry, all these comparisons are going to be great, but uh, that during the Cold War, 
if we're looking at the way national defense worked, the U.S. considered itself to have a single peer in the world, in the in the military sense. And that was, of course, the USSR. Uh, things that are near peer would be things that are close enough to some level, whatever the metric is, whether that's economic heft, whether that's military might, what have you, you know, uh, they're close enough to each other to be considered near peers, even if they're not, you know, one-to-one on balance across all these other things. So like a real, a nation with a really dangerous military, but a really terrible uh, economic situation could still be a near peer to another country that had, uh, if I understand correctly, another country that had an equally dangerous military. So it's it's important because the way those states regard each other, and they usually are not ideologically on the same page, but they're usually in terms of like the hard facts, they're going to they're going to agree on their positions relative to one another, and of course. Real politic would argue that they always want to be the king of the hill. So statecraft and influence, these things, the, the way these are applied, change uh, based on a state's position relative to another state. So like the way Mexico handles diplomacy with the U.S. is going to be different from the way Mexico handles diplomacy with Canada, just because of the U.S.'s um individual makeup as a country okay that was a lot did that make any sense it does make sense it's uh I, yeah some of it some of it like that that version makes sense i need to take a couple classes in order to fully understand like all of those interactions because yep. all, all of all of their priorities feel like i need to take at least several classes or maybe get a degree how about this uh, models and methods for understanding covert online influence. Mm-hmm. That is the only one on here. I think that I really understand <laughs> models and methods for understanding covert online influence uh, worth exploring, I think, or mm-hmm. how about uh, multi-domain behavioral complexity and computational social modeling? Mm, yeah. That's an icebreaker at the next party, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's definitely like, it's research that sounds important, but I don't have a working knowledge of of what like how you do anything with this stuff, which is why the DoD would want, I'm assuming, to have, you know, top minds at, at research institutes across the country and universities working on these big questions, these these big topics. Um, I want to jump over quickly to foreign policy. Mm-hmm. The the website they've got. A write-up about this from 2008, written by Hugh Gusterson. The title is When Professors Go to War. And I'm just going to read a part of a paragraph down here. It says, it's, it's talking about these big questions that exist for the Defense Department. And from everything from the Vietnam War questions Uh, about leaders in Vietnam and communicating with the United States and, you know, how how policy like shaped the interaction that occurred in the Vietnam War and everything to issues in the Middle East, responses to responses and responses to situations within countries in the Middle East and how that affects like what actually occurred. Um, I mean, it's really interesting, big questions, but 
let me let me just jump to what the writer actually says here. In an attempt to mobilize academic expertise to address such questions, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates, uh, that name should ring a bell, recently announced Project Minerva. Under Minerva, the Pentagon has allocated $50 million for academics to work on a number of fronts, writing about the connections between religion, especially Islam, and terrorism, translating, analyzing, and publicly archiving documents captured in the Iraq War, creating a centralized archive of publicly available documents on Chinese military doctrine and technology, and submitting Blue Sky proposals for the development of new paradigms that Gates likened to the role played by game theory during the Cold War. This, f- this sounds eerily similar to stuff that we've been talking about recently, Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, game theory, you know, the great game and game theory and how it's applied to just all of politics across the globe. Yeah, it can sound... So the thing about this is these lines of thought are crucial, and they have been. Um, you could argue for the... the uh, majority of human history, but but they start with uh, these these basic assumptions. And the basic assumptions sound very, very basic, but they lead to complex theories relatively quickly. Like one basic assumption uh, for this kind of line of thought would the, be that all actors are rational actors. So even if an individual in a government is mad as a hatter or as mad as Nero's opponents said that he was back in the day, the government or the state itself will behave in a rational manner. It will do cost-benefit analysis. It will figure out how best to apply its influence and where. Um, a lot of a lot of their focus now is entirely on the theoretical. That's why they're saying blue sky, right? We want mm-hmm. the smartest people in the rooms, full of the smartest people, to tell us how they think different if then propositions might work out in the international sphere there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff involved with this like um the modeling isn't just people saying well i think based on x y will occur if z what the it goes down to the point you we've talked about this before on air there are people who are building virtual simulations of given parts of the world or communities uh with sophistication such that they, I want to be careful saying this, guys, but such that they may be close to being able to tell the future in a way, kind of. Um, probably not there yet. Hopefully not. I think that's a power people should not have personally, um, or I think a military should not have that power personally. Uh, and that's not a ding on the U.S. military. I mean, any military. And one of the big problems that people are going to have with this, especially our friends who are at the forefront of machine consciousness is there, you know, you rightly have to ask, even if this stuff is well-intentioned, is the the guidance or the source of the inspiration, the funding, is the fact that that itself is a military, does that mean what we create will be inherently, on some level, militaristic? And it's a very good question to ask. Really I don't know is. what the answer is. No. I know there are a lot of people who <laughs> argue back and forth about it. Oh, for sure. And there are so many of these these huge questions, and, and I just want to point out a couple of things that The Guardian reported on just when it comes to the research and what kinds of projects are being funded and who's getting grants, because that's really, like we said, that's what this is. This is an initiative to give grants to universities and students who are performing this research and trying to answer the questions, like the one Ben just posed. 
So this is from The Guardian in 2014. So going back a ways, uh, right after we started uh, our own YouTube channel, then, and all. Wow. <laughs> That's right then. Um, so here we go. This is talking about some of the awards. Uh, here we go. Among the projects awarded for the period 2014 to 2017 is a Cornell University-led study managed by the U.S. Air Force Office of Scientific Research, which aims to develop an empirical model, quote, of the dynamics of social movement mobilization and contagions. Interesting. How does an idea go viral? Exactly. Right? Arab Spring. Yes. The project will determine the critical mass or tipping point of social contagions by studying their digital traces in the cases of the Egyptian Revolution in 2011, the uh, Russian Duma elections in 2011, the 2012 Nigerian fuel subsidy crisis and the 2013 Ghazi Park protests in Turkey. A bunch of a uh, bunch of things that occurred where social media played a huge part, where getting the word out and spreading spreading the information was happening rapidly and widespread and more and more people were were physically mobilized to take action. And there's another one out of the University of Washington that seeks to, quote, uncover the conditions under which political movements aimed at large scale political and economic change originate, along with their characteristics and consequences. That one is managed by the U.S. Army Research Office. Mm. Interesting stuff. Uh, dangerous stuff. I mean, what to what end? Uh, like, to what end would we would we want to predict how to determine the growth or virality of a virility and virality of a um, a given social movement? Would we want to do that because we can make better predictions? Would we want to do that because we can create those when convenient in the future? Uh, or would and, we and want, prevent them from happening and, and prevent them before they occur? Right. So this, I mean, this stuff we can talk about it all day, but there is there is an art to this. The question is, um, what kind of art are we studying? The dark arts when we get to this point, because you can influence human behavior easily, and especially if you know how these things start. I would argue there's a convincing case to be made in aspects of some of the things you cite, that um, bad actors were already playing with these kinds of levers and switches and models uh, well before this stuff was, uh, you know, fit for public consumption, right? And there have been a lot of, a lot of professors, a lot of grad students working on things like this for years. Um, until we had the technology we have now, a lot of this exploration was in retrospect. Let me go back and look at a series of events in 1917 and let me figure out what happened. And then maybe knowing those causes, kind of like a meteorologist, knowing the causes, you know, knowing the things that precede a certain kind of storm, maybe we can get a better warning in advance. But now with the technology we're talking about, it's way different. It's way different, man. Uh, now we are very close, if not um, past the threshold, such that, well, I say we, but obviously Matt Knoll and Mission Control and I are not consulted on these things. Uh, yeah. Someone uh, within our lifetimes is going to be able to use this in an actionable way. It's just, what would they use it for? Would yep. you be, I mean, would you be less concerned if it were Nestle 
instead of the Department of Defense? No. No. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but you're, yeah. Yeah. you're still right, though, Ben. It's, it's what is the spark that made that thing happen? What is the fuel that made it spread? And then how do, how do we actually shut it off? Is there a valve that shuts this particular thing off? Mm-hmm. And uh, how could we do that again? Oh, man. Really good stuff. Thank you, Joseph, for writing in. That this fascinating topic might be worth more of our consideration down the line. It feels like it. There's a lot to dig into. If you're interested at home in doing some more research on the Minerva Research Initiative, initiative. I always want to say institute for some reason. It sounds like an organization. Um, you can check out their website and a bunch of write-ups that have occurred. You can go to websites for... Uh, universities like the Massachusetts Institute of Technology or MIT and all other, so many other universities that have gotten a grant for this type of research. We recommend checking it out, doing your own research, and then hopefully you'll hear back about more of this from us. And with that, we'll pause for a word from our sponsor. We'll be back to hear more from you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we have returned. Our next piece of correspondence comes to us from Jen T. Jen writes in uh, with something that I thought would interest all of us, uh, something we've talked a little bit about in the past. Here's what you said, Jen. Hi, guys. I was recently listening to an interview with David Sinclair. He was talking about the importance of gene mapping in health and wellness. He suggested doing this through companies like 23andMe. I really like the idea of mapping my genes to educate myself about what I may be predisposed to and how I can modify my lifestyle for better health. The problem is I'm skeptical about handing my DNA over to these companies and what they may be doing with the info they compile without my knowledge. I'm not sure if you ever did a show about this topic, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, this is something, this is one of the, I started to think of them, Matt, Noel, as phantom topics. These things that, these currents that continually come up in our conversations over the years, but somehow don't end up being a full episode. Now, full disclosure as well, in various projects that uh, Noel, Matt, and I have all worked on, and Paul as well, uh, the issue of using genetic testing has come up uh, in, in just shows we produce or develop. Uh, this is an increasingly important question. It's like, um, you know, the concern about how Facebook uses your data times a million. Like, it's hard to understand just how much of an issue this is going to become our let's start with a cliche cliches are cliches because they're true uh the gadiga situation right like it was never it never became illegal not to genetically modify your child it just made their lives terrible because of all the burdens and burdens upon and barriers against their growth that society would put upon them. Namely, I think in there it was insurance, right? Liabilities, things like that. Uh, we don't want to scare people, but the potential is here for this. You know, like um, we were talking off air before we rolled on, on this, like, all right, this is not a ding on these companies. They are pretty explicit. Well, they are they do tell you that they sell this stuff in their uh, terms of service. But they use phrases, little weasel word phrases like third parties. You know what third party is? It is literally any individual, institution, organization, or government that is not you or that company specifically. So it's like anything else in the world is a third party. I don't think these companies would ever do this, but just consider like a Bond supervillain could be a third party. Elon Musk could be a third party. ISIS could be a third party. Uh, a a, a on-the-surface, well-intentioned nonprofit that 
gets taken over by somebody or was started by somebody surreptitiously for the goal of nefarious means <laughs> could could be that third party. Exactly. A pharmaceutical company could definitely be a third party. Uh, this this concern is real, Jen, because companies, these companies, some of them will already sell your genetic information to drug makers, to other Silicon Valley startups. Uh, this this may not have been the intent that you had when you wanted to find out whether, you know, your grand grandmother's stories about your Sicilian ancestors were true or something. But there's there's an argument uh, to be made, an argument, you know, we hate here on this show for the greater good. Uh, pharmaceutical companies, R&D outfits, med tech, they can, in theory, uh, create more efficacious drugs and treatments when they are armed with more information. But how does that push toward a greater good, even if it is sincere and well-intentioned, how does it affect you? Uh, does it mean that in the future, if you and uh, if you and your partner are going to have a child, uh, does it mean that insurance automatically goes through the roof for that child because they have model they have your genetic info and they've modeled uh, they've modeled this out with such fidelity that they know your kid has is four times more likely than other peers in their age group to get breast cancer at the like in their forties or something. Like, do they how how granular can they become? To use the old buzzword, uh, does that mean that that kid's existence, like their life, is a pre-existing condition? And then how does a privatized healthcare system handle that? Like that, that stuff can happen. This is not like, yes, this gene mapping is doing tremendous things. It, it is solving crimes that would have remained unsolved for, uh, for the rest of time. But with that, there comes a trade-off, you know, it's like, uh, we were talking about this when we were recording an episode on military entertainment complex. I think it was you, Noel, who, had, who used the phrase devil's bargain. And in some ways, this is very much, uh, it has the potential to be a devil's bargain because like what happens, what happens when we reach that Gladwell-esque tipping point and it is unusual for you not to have your individual DNA mapped? Like when it's, when it's weird. Oh yeah, you would be the person. Yeah, we've talked we've talked about that, you know, in the past about like these databases and you know the upside of it, where sure there have been crimes solved because of this type of information, um, but there is a version where it could become kind of an all or nothing, like you, you can't really opt out anymore, or it's like being like microchipped at birth or something. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's that tipping point, that slippery slope, and and do the benefits outweigh the erosion of privacy? But uh, another thing we talked about on the show a lot is the illusion of privacy, which is more and more becoming uh, very much the the order of business, you know, in, in this country, particularly, but really in the world. Yeah, well said. I mean, this is this is the thing uh, you can uh, should you choose to use these companies, which many, many people do. Should you choose to use them? Uh, they'll give you a variety of options about how you want your information shared when and with whom. But these options are confusing. And more hardcore privacy advocates will say they are confusing by design. I don't know if it's necessarily that conspiratorial or any more conspiratorial than the typical language of a legal agreement. 
But here's the thing. Even if you agree, and even if they hold up their end of the bargain and act in good faith, what happens when a hack occurs? What happens when the first genetic database hack hits and then somebody is selling this information in the black market? You're part of it. You're, you're part of it. And uh, all of you. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do. And then what happens even further when it becomes unusual to not have your genes mapped? There's a question you can ask, which is okay, I share the same genes with, say, my sibling. Right. So if my sibling gets uh, one of these tests, then aren't I functionally already in the system? I'm just a few years different or, you know, whatever your normal variance of things would be. But then we have to ask ourselves, what happens when you start mapping epigenetic changes? Um, epigenetics, it's I don't think we can call it an emerging science anymore, but it's definitely on the forefront of a lot of research. So epigenetics is the modification of a way a gene is expressed, or it's the study of that, rather than the alteration of the code itself. Uh, so you can see some great longitudinal studies about how uh, the circumstances of a person's life may affect the way genes express in their children. So then combine that with a surveillance state right, where everything you do is logged, uh, whether via your phone, your records, uh, maybe the IMF uh, wins their pitch to uh, base something like a credit score on your internet search history. And then people can go back and say like, okay, these are two siblings, right? These are two siblings. They live these two very different lives. Uh, they had kids, right? And of course, you know, in the wishes or horses version of this kind of research, you would say like there were these two identical twins who lived two very different lives. They married another pair of, or reproduced with at least another pair of identical twins. And now we can see what happened to the kid because of the choices, uh, the, those different choices those twins made. That's a lot, but it's totally possible. And that's, that's what, like the problem is, when we're talking about informed consent here, because the research is so new, because the science is emergent, it is impossible to know exactly what you are agreeing to on either side of that equation, whether you're one of those companies or whether you are one of those uh, customers or one of their, you know, walking data mines. But I think we didn't, some of us have gotten those tests. I never did it, but um, did you, Matt, or was it you, Noel? I did it through like it was like a sponsorship uh, years and years ago. I did a 23andMe thing and um, it was really, I think I've mentioned on the show, the, the initial results you get are super underwhelming if you're someone like me who is like mainly Nordic. It, it, it wasn't, I remember it was just being kind of like a womp, womp, womp. But there are apparently other uh services that can do a deeper dive into your results and get you much more granular information. So I think that's probably where the, the more fun stuff comes from. Yeah. And I've, I've done it, I guess, tangentially because my wife and my son and my sister and my dad and my aunts oh. and in-laws and yeah, my, my entire family is basically gone with one, one or the other of the major ones. I've just walked in to the 23andMe headquarters and talked with people there, but I've never actually let them take my spit. You walked in and talked, where's their headquarters? 
It's uh, out there in San Francisco or near San Francisco. Oh, yeah. neat. Oh, that was research, though, wasn't it? Was that show research? Yeah, that was an interview for the Zodiac show. That's um, right. It, back then, that was like 2018. I think they had partnerships. 23andMe had partnerships with GlaxoSmithKline and maybe a few others. Uh, but like drug companies, specifically, yeah. that's what they were partnering with to share information. And at that time, it was definitely, if you're a user, a consumer... Uh, you you had to state whether or not you could that you would allow them to use your information and in research, right? And then you know this can't like this is not automatically some sinister plot because that information is immensely valuable, uh, especially in researching chronic or currently uh, incurable conditions, right? Like if you if you had the choice. And if it was phrased this way, the phrasing is so important. If you had the choice to make sure that future children would be able to not have lupus, wouldn't you like to think of yourself as the kind of person who is generally for helping kids not have diseases? It's a tough thing to say no to. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, uh, when you get that little shakedown at the grocery store, and they're like, hey, do you want to donate $5 or do you hate orphans? And then you have to be like, I, I $3 like orphans, right? And then just hope the people behind you in line don't see you. Also, by the way, yes, I think we talked about this in the past. Those things are not always on the up and up. But what, what you said, Matt, there about how eventually it doesn't matter or it may not matter, epigenetics aside, you're still, you're still a valuable piece of the puzzle. But it's a lot like for anybody who's been in the suburbs I've seen people in the suburbs who who've done things I thought were so clever. There was um, one family I, I I was aware of that had decided they didn't have to build a fence because if their backyard neighbor built a fence and the house to the right built a fence and the house to the left built a fence, oh, they found me. <laughs> we'll keep that in. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like eventually the fence functionally gets built with no action on your own part. And this DNA stuff is a little bit, a little bit similar to that, I would say. Um, but again, it's not, it's not necessarily bad. And perhaps the most important point, Jen, before we move on here is that you have ostensibly, um, you have the ability to request that your information be deleted. So read the, read what you're agreeing to very carefully, uh, because once once that stuff is sold, it's out of the company's hands. Like once Ancestry or MyHeritage or whomever sells your data to that third party, which again could be anyone that is not you or that company, it becomes pretty difficult to track. You will have, even if people are doing their due diligence and trying to help you find it, it, it can be difficult. And also, you know, if you've been in the military or if you, uh, depending on the part of the world you're in, if you have been in um, in the justice system, the incarceration system, which I guess are two very different systems, uh, then you're probably on file somewhere with some database. But uh, if you want to learn how to delete this information, there's a great article by Aaron Brodwin over at Business Insider, B-R-O-D-W-I-N. And uh, this will walk you through 
what you need to do. Otherwise, um, and it varies by company, but otherwise, like a company like 23andMe would be able to keep your, your spit sample and therefore your data for up to 10 years. And given the pace of this technology, genetic research 10 years from now is going to be a, a wildly different animal in comparison to genetic research in 2021. So yeah. again, choice is up to you. It's your comfort level. You probably will learn some amazing things about yourself because it evolves. But um, the choice is the choice is up to you. And you know these people aren't super villains. It's just no one can tell the future yet, depending on what Minerva gets up to. No, Ben. I just want to say I found another headline from Aaron over at Business Insider, and it, mm -hmm. I think it was right before this. It was written a couple months before the the, the article we were looking at, mm -hmm. and the title is. DNA testing company 23andMe has signed a $300 million deal with a drug giant. Here's how to delete your data if that freaks you out. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's important because we say it all the time on this show, technology always outpaces legislation. So right now, legislation still hasn't really caught up to what's possible with genetic research, which means the burden of protecting yourself and your information is on you. Uh, so just tread fearlessly into the future, friends, uh, but keep your eyes open while you walk. You know what I mean? We're waxing too poetic. Uh, we'll pause. We want to hear your input, your experience with genetic testing, your ideas of the, the future of genetic testing, the dangers, the advantages. Uh, we'll tell you how to get in touch with us again at the end of the show. But for now, let's pause for a word from our sponsor, and then we will return with updates on the ground, exactly what we were looking for uh, from a previous strange news segment. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. 
Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back with our final listener mail of the day. Uh, this one comes to us from Instagram, uh, and more so than from Instagram, from Delhi, India, uh, from a listener named Shub, S H U B H. Uh, Shub says, I just heard your farms protest uh, segment uh, on Strange News that you referenced before the break, Ben. The protest is happening 100 meters from my house. You can't cover it in one episode, it's deep. No Western media will cover the story. Go for two parts. Okay, duly noted. Uh, the protest is highly politicized. The people leading the protests are basically the ones who also ran and got defeated against the ruling party. Also, search about this one former leader, Rakesh Tikat, uh, forgive me if I'm butchering that last name pronunciation, who basically politicized the protest, incited violence, uh, and is still basically doing the same thing. And there's one thing at the root of the protest, Kalistan. Uh, you would have to research about Kalistan. Kalistani elements have basically infiltrated the protest and are trying to create a mess. The government tried to crack down against them, but the opposition tried to gain some points by basically labeling it as, uh, quote, framing farmers and calling them terrorists and trying to stop the protests. We need this. No outlet in the West will ever show India a good, honest picture. Same old stereotypes of God knows which era. If there's anything I can do to help, message me. I'm your guy in India. And uh, I do believe we're going to take him up on this. He sent this message to uh, the three of us and uh, also, I believe, reached out to you, Ben, on Twitter. Uh, and I believe this was your story in the first place, something you've been following. But maybe we should start by talking a little bit about what Kalistan is, because it's not something I was intimately familiar with. Yeah, totally. Thank you to Shub, and thank you, of course, to some of the other listeners uh, we had shouted out who are either in India or have friends and family in country, uh, including Shali SG. Um, Kalistan, uh, Noel, you and I were talking about this a little bit off air. It's, um, it's a Sikh separatist movement. For people in the U.S. and uh, probably in Canada, too, you, uh, you may be aware of Sikhism because you have met some people uh, who practice the religion uh, of Sikhism. And, uh, you know, a lot of times practitioners of this religion are uh, unfairly confused with or conflated with, like, say, someone of the Hindu faith, 
or something like that, right? Or Buddhism even. These are very, very different. These are different religious systems, different religious belief systems. Um, we ourselves are not Sikhs, but we have we know people who are Sikh. Uh, but the, again, they're all they're all people in the U.S. You know what I mean? They they've got U.S. families. It's just it's the same thing as someone uh, being in the U.S. and have like being Catholic or something. You know what I mean? It's their religion, but maybe not nas- national identity. Um, Sikhs practice what are known as the five Ks. At least that's often how I refer to it in English in the West which is uh, Kesh, uncut hair, Kara, an iron or steel bracelet, Kirpan, that's the, uh, the dagger uh, that's tucked into the belt, uh, Kachera, which is a cotton undergarment, Kanga, which is a small wooden comb. Uh, they always have to have these things on their bodies. So uh, this, that's just what, that's a very small snapshot of like a physical thing that I think gets a lot of attention in the West. But Noel, to your point, Kalistan is this movement um, by practitioners of the Sikh religion who say we want to make our own sovereign country and it will be a Sikh country. And it will be, I believe, in the Punjab region. Is that That's correct? correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, but it would be made up of kind of like the way a proposed Kurd nation would be made up of different pieces of existing nations. This would be made up of different uh, different parts of India and Pakistan. This goes back into, you know, the days of empire and the way that empires purposely drew lines that sometimes separated historically unified communities. That's right. And then the, uh, the Khalistan um, group believe they have a almost like a preordained right to this uh, land, into, into this, um, this, this state, the separatist state. And it goes back a long way, like you said, to the fall of the British Empire. Uh, but today it remains and it is almost, I don't know, how would you describe it, Ben? I mean, it, it's sort of in, in this context, the way uh, this group is is almost trying to politicize these uh, protests to discredit the Indian government. Isn't that right? And, and then to kind of help use this unrelated cause to aid their cause. I think that's kind of the, the takeaway that I'm getting. Yeah, it feels like the perspective here uh, is something something along that lines. Like the idea is that opportunists have entered the fray, right? These are accusations we saw uh, surrounding protests in the U.S., for instance. And it is true that at times there have been other forces that go into any protest or movement to try to piggyback on it and get their message amplified or get their goals closer to reality. Um there were a lot of what we would call Khalistani groups that were doing things that maybe other groups weren't necessarily approving of, right? Um, the U.S. Department of State found that in general, what they describe as Sikh extremism has decreased significantly. But of course, that doesn't mean people gave up by any means. It just means like maybe they're exercising influence in a different way or, or employing a, a different strategy. Problem is, as you might imagine, folks, whenever any, uh, <laughs> like imagine you are the president or the prime minister, or the monarch of a country, and you have a community of people uh, who are relatively, you know, they're just normal people, 
but they're they're a relatively unified community and they come to you and they say, hey, prime minister, president, monarch, we want our own thing. Not only do I want our own thing, but we want a piece of your house that we're going to use to build it. Like what what do you what do you do at that point? It's not uh considered a good look. Most authorities are very, very hesitant to say, oh yeah, you know, sure, whatever. Take uh which Dakota do you want? Pick a Dakota. Just just go for one of the Dakotas. Can't have them both, but you can get one. That so rarely happens. That's why wars happen. That's why secession leads to conflict. Because once somebody, once an institution gets their hands on something, they don't want to let it go. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's just how the world works. But no, at this point, it sounds like Shub is saying that Khalistani forces or groups, even if they're breakaway groups, have essentially taken over steering of the protest, right? This is a very complex story and uh, worthy of, uh, if not a two-parter, definitely a whole deep dive episode. Um, but but one of the names that should mention Rakesh Tikait or Tikait, uh, who is a leader of this union called the BKU, uh, the uh, Berachia Kisan Union, um, which appears to be, if not directly, a wing of the Khalistan movement in in league with them in some way or allying with them in some way, um, because he is claiming uh, that the Indian government's silence ar- around this uh, these protests indicate that there is going to be some kind of drastic measure taken. Um, and, and is sort of seemingly poking the bear a little bit in terms of, you know, almost like speaking in, in, in taunting language to the government or, or daring them to do something. I mean, and, and uh, he's being referred to almost as like, I was looking at uh, this article on Times of India uh, that talks about this this gentleman and, and the role he's playing in this. And a lot of the comments are calling him an anarchist and saying that he's uh, a fringe character and that he's essentially kind of co-opting this movement for his own ends, the ends of his union. Uh, But then, Ben, you made a really good point. The women's wing of the BKU claimed that the government was labeling the farmers as Khalistanis. Uh, in other words, reversing what we're talking about here to try to discredit that movement. So there's a lot of people trying to throw a lot of people under the bus here, uh, <laughs> right. possibly for their own personal ends and not really anything to do with, uh, you know, the welfare of these these farmers who, who are essentially starving because they're these uh, just just to go back to the original story. There's the, these unfair bulk purchasing um deals essentially that does not pay them a living wage for the crops that they've grown. Yeah, that's the that's the concern, right? These laws passed in uh, as we said in our earlier episode, these laws passed uh in September of last year uh, and these protests have have picked up steam since then, but the the issue is that especially in the west, um the way that mainstream news is constructed restricts a lot of programming to these blocks, right? These three to maybe 10, what, maybe 12 minute blocks of information before they move on to the next thing. And that, uh, to your earlier point here, Shub, that seems like it's it's not up to the, it's not enough time to explore the deep roots of this that, you know, Noel and Matt have mentioned here. But the um, the weird thing is if you go, we may have talked, I, I know we talked about this, but if you just look at Wikipedia, which we don't usually recommend as a source, uh, 
what I always like to do, I haven't seen this, let's let's check it out. What I always like to do is not is go into a hot button issue and not look at the article tab. Go to the talk tab. See what people are fighting about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, like even even on that, um, that, that, I didn't even know that was a thing on Wikipedia, Ben. But like I said, the comments even on that uh, Times of India article, uh, very divisive figure um, in, in this BKU leader who, who's, uh, you know, kind of calling out the government. And people are saying, you know, clearly siding with the government, saying, go home, you're an anarchist, you know, stop uh, trying to stir the pot or whatever. So, um, yeah, but, but th- yeah. think about any comments section on any social media oh, platform, including any publication where you're going to have the absolute extremes represented in opinion at least about any figure, no matter how much you as a, an individual agree with that person or disagree with that. person. These were pretty (laughs) consistent, like to what I was saying, like pretty consistently negative towards this guy, but it also, you know, I, again, I don't know, you know, certain newspapers have certain types of constituencies and readerships. Perhaps the times of India is more, pro-government folks. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And that can change the narrative um, in ways that might not be immediately obvious to some readers. Right. Uh, So one thing that is interesting is there have been things that are called incidents of fake news or allegations of fake news in the uh, political debate here uh, where statements are being misattributed to other people or where some media outlets have reported things that later uh, turned out not to be true. And one of the big hot button issues here is that there are apparently a lot of farmers in the protest who are saying, look, we're not Calistanis. You are misreporting who we are and what we want. What we want is for these laws to go away because we were not consulted about these laws. Uh, Stop trying to link us up with separatist movements, but then it's weird because when you, I'm always, uh, I'm always paying attention to the buzzwords because when the buzzwords start entering the conversation, that's when you know things are going to go off the rails. Uh, A lot of, like one protester, one phrase we found was the phrase, the Modi media. Right, in, right. Instead of mainstream media. Which is the name, which is a reference to the the leader of of the Indian government. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's like what the Modi media won't tell you is kind of like what the mainstream narrative won't tell you. And so no matter what we know or don't know right now, we can say one thing for sure. It appears there is an information war in Indian media over what the identity of these protesters should be considered as, which is why Shub writes out, uh, writes to us and says, no, these are not just farmers. These are uh, these are separatists who have used what what may have begun as a farming protest for something else. But then there mm-hmm. are other people in those protests saying, hey, no, we're not. We're just we're farmers. Yep. The truth is difficult to discern, at least right now. Yeah, you know, I completely agree. And uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I mean, these protests are still literally taking place 100 meters from Shub's home. This uh, message came in like yesterday. And, you know, by the way, Shub, thank you for writing to us because we saw we saw these messages. And then I also saw a message where where you were like, look, I, I took an hour writing to you guys, mm-hmm. finding every way to contact you. Uh, so I'm very um, uh, grateful for the oh. time you took. 
also very casually just dropped the fact that the that uh, Shub is 16 years old and seems to have a depth of understanding of the geopolitical situation going on here uh, that is very complex. But imagine uh, something that, you know, would be much more familiar to someone who grew up in that part of the country following these nuanced kind of you know, uh, divides over time as opposed to us trying to deep dive into it in, in a couple of sittings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to, we're going to have to catch up. I <laughs> see, uh, because we are, we are in an era and this is last time I'll stop riding this hobby horse for at least two weeks, I promise. But we are in the era of information war. We are in the era of, uh, fighting for control of a narrative and information wars are just going to become uh, increasingly difficult to navigate sooner than you think. I mean, this might sound like I'm coming out of the blue with it, but you guys saw those fake Tom Cruise videos, right? Oh, the deep fake ones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, pretty indistinguishable. And it's, the technology is becoming democratized. So soon, anybody can put anyone wherever they want in any situation. I can't remember where I heard this, and I'm, I'm pretty sure we've discussed it, but uh, or maybe it was something that, that our friend of the show, Matt Riddle, mentioned. Uh, it's going to come a point where in order to protect ourselves against that kind of thing, there's going to have to be a watermark or some kind of digital, uh, you know, indicator on footage so that you know it came from the original source. But then, yeah. that's, that, then we start getting into the kinds of things we were talking about in the last story, uh, Ben, just about <laughs> the slippery slope of that and information control and then losing the ability to maybe disseminate things at all because it's all on lockdown because everyone's so paranoid someone's going to make a deep fake out of your footage uh, and then oh. you can't get it or you can't get archival footage for documentaries anymore. I mean, who, who knows where it could go? And meanwhile, MIT and the Department of Defense are studying all of it to figure out how to make it more effective in the future. Well, how, <laughs> how, how to make things safe. Yeah. How, yeah, how yeah, to yeah, make yeah. things safe. That or, sounds nicer. For national interests. It, for national interests. Wow. Not even security. <laughs> We're softening that. I love it. But also, this, uh, this means in the next few years, this kind of stuff will depend on, you know, animation of still photos of you. Uh, video is a huge gift. Uh, to these kind of initiatives. And also, I hate to say it, audio. For the three of us, the ship has sailed. We have enough audio out there right now that uh, you can Frankenbite us probably to say almost anything. We just, uh, hopefully the technology isn't there yet for it to sound like it's actually us. Right. Uh, well, well, I, I think I mentioned this before on the show. One time when I was visiting uh, our our offices in New York, um, I was in, waiting to to go into a meeting, and we have like you know people within the company that like look for new tech like that. You know, being a, a big media company, and just casually, the, one of those guys was around, and our boss was like, oh, "Dude, you got to check this out." And I can't remember what it was called, but we had just either bought the rights to it or like the you know to test it to beta test it and it was essentially this software that can just scan your audio not frankenbite but just scan and then create a very realistic facsimile and the idea would be oh now you don't have to read ads anymore mm -hmm. we can just run it through this thing and no one will be the wiser uh and again, you know, it take a hell of a lot of AI to to match the wit and uh, and personality and depth of knowledge of a Ben Bolin or a Matt Frederick. But uh, you know, with the right script, shoot, Scott you know, Ackerman could run every podcast network ever just by punching up scripts. <laughs> he always texts me about that at the weirdest times. 
<laughs> is he on our research docs? It's just <laughs> like, it's weird. Like, He's just ni- there ni- punching it up. Nicest guy. Nicest guy. I got to say that. But yeah, you, you know, think about it. I, I don't, probably can't disclose a ton of stuff, but yeah, I was surprised. I did some uh, some dabbling with some of this tech and I was surprised by how far it came along. It doesn't quite have the same sort of, I mean, we're all improvising, right, to a degree when we speak extemporaneously, uh, so it still feels a little scripted and it's missing some of those intonative plot twist, right, where someone goes up or down or something like that. Um, and, you know, Noel, Matt, you all are audio experts, so you would probably, I would say you would probably be much more difficult to fool than the average person. Even if you thought it was really them saying something, you might think, ooh, they're having a bad day. Something's off with them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, something. maybe. Or or it's real and we want it to look like that or sound like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's not real, right? So yeah, that's, that's, that's why we're in a post-truth world right mm-hmm. now because no matter what, Someone tells you it could yeah. be the other thing. Seeing is not <laughs> believing. I mean, it might be believing, but it does not equal truth or hearing, you know? Think right. about our talking heads on these YouTube videos. Like, I know we're wearing different shirts and hats sometimes. Not me. I wear the same shirt and hat every <laughs> oh. single day. That's by design. I, I am not wearing my mask for this one. I, I, I should. Uh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, to bring this back, the reason we're taking uh, some pains to explore that aspect of uh, the difficulty determining the facts here is because we want to be we want to be very clear. We're grateful for everybody reaching out to us about the situation in India. We hope uh, that people are safe and it does not result in further harm for people. But you have to understand for folks, if you are reading news about a country that you haven't been to, and you don't speak the language natively, then to a degree, your viewpoint can be controlled by the stuff you are able to access, the stuff that's translated into your language, the stuff that arrives to you via international media. I I know social media is kind of horrible, but it's a very good thing it's around uh, because the alternative would be more stumbling in the dark toward the end of the world. Well, that didn't come off as optimistic as as I had hoped. Hey, that's okay. Use use the social <laughs> media to your advantage and the world's advantage. Find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are conspiracy stuff and Instagram where we are conspiracy stuff show. Uh, do your part and re- reach out if you like that stuff. If you don't, hey, you can call us. We have a phone number. Right, it's one eight three three S T D W Y T K. You can leave us a message. Try to keep it within the allotted three minutes, uh, and you might end up on one of our listener mail episodes, just like Joseph, maybe, just like maybe Joseph did today. <laughs> um, uh, and thank you, Joseph, for that. I think we we all agreed it was definitely Joseph, but I but I love <laughs> the mystery. Uh, if you don't want to do that, uh, you can also go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a glowing. Review, or if there's something that you know you want some constructive criticism, we, we're we're into that too. Just don't you know say mean things about us personally because we're all pretty sensitive dudes. But there is a final way to reach out to us if none of that stuff does it for you. You can send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.